Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, how many of you uh, feel like your life at times is being pulled in a thousand different directions? And you're, uh, like the U2 song says, running just to stand still. You're at the early service, so you can't feel like that too much. I mean, y'all are here early. Some of you are like, I've been up for five hours with the baby, Luke. Be quiet. Um, I think we all feel that way to some degree at some time in the modern world that we're living in. And one of the reasons that I can say that I think with confidence is because of the explosion we've seen in the last 20 years or so of self-help books on this exact subject. In recent years, there have been multiple books published about how to rearrange your life schedule for maximum efficiency and for maximum enjoyment. Tim Ferriss, for example, had a book called The Four-Hour Workweek, and you're like, Amazon, boom, right now, I want that. Four-hour work week. Um, Stephen Covey has a famous book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, in which he talks about a very similar idea. Both of these authors advocate what is known as a fixed-hour schedule, which is basically you write up an ideal day or an ideal week or an ideal month on a blank calendar, and you start with all your top priorities, sleep, exercise, work, play, eating, margin, and so on. And within reason, you stick to it. Uh, There's an inherent appeal to that idea for many of us if book sales are any judge. But what most people don't realize is that this idea of arranging your schedule, ordering your life for, you know, maximum value is not something that has started in the marketplace a couple of decades ago. It's something that started in the monastery a millennium ago, if not longer, uh, when monastic orders and often entire communities chose to do life together around what they called a rule of life. That idea, a rule of life, is one that I believe needs to be revived in the world that we inhabit today as Christians And it's our topic in this teaching series. So, what is a rule of life? Has Luke gone Catholic? No. What is a rule of life? Here's how uh, author John Mark Comer defines it. Quote, A rule was a schedule and set of practices to order your life around the way of Jesus in community. 
It was a way to keep from getting sucked into the hurry, busyness, noise, and distraction of regular life. A way to slow down. A way to live into what really matters. What Jesus called abiding. Key relationships with family and community. The work God has set before us. A healthy soul. That word rule can be a little bit confusing depending on your background. It really comes from a Latin word. The Latin word is regula, which literally means a straight piece of wood, (laughs) a a ruler. Um, Regula is a term that refers to how we measure or how we regulate something. Maybe this image will help. Uh, In the Roman world, that word regula was also used of a trellis. Uh, a structure that holds up a vine so that the vine may grow and flourish. So a rule of life in the Christian tradition is, is a structure of life that enables followers of Jesus to do what Jesus calls us to in John 15, to abide. And the structure consists of regular practices, rhythms, and habits that put us in the presence of God and allow us to receive his love and grow in the gospel, which is why we all exist after all, to love God and enjoy him forever. And my goal in this series is to help us consider a rule of life for ourselves that will enable us to grow in devotion to and affection for Jesus that will help us abide in Jesus. We all need to, in a sense, become like monks. Not necessarily by cloistering ourselves off from the world, but rather by intentionally structuring our lives, our time, our days and weeks and years around a rule, regular rhythms that will bring flourishing. Why are we spending six weeks on this? Because it's a significant weakness. It's a significant weakness in the lives of most Christians. Now, our church, as I hope you know, is founded on the principle that the gospel changes everything. Believing into Jesus Christ is what will bring transformation, and we still firmly and fully embrace that idea. Trusting into Christ is the transformative power in your life, but that trusting That relationship with Christ is strengthened through means of grace. It's strengthened habits. It's strengthened through practices like any other relationship, especially your marriage if you're married. You can say to your husband or to your wife, I love you. And that's a good thing, but it's a much different and much more significant thing to show them that you love them by habitually, consistently, and regularly acknowledging and living out that love in your practices, in your schedule. And I think that for many, if not most of us, we come to church on Sunday, which is an essential part of any rule of life, as we will soon see, but the rest of our lives are structured Uh, based on rules and patterns that often don't help us flourish as human beings and don't help us know God's love, but are rather destructive and even deadening in their impact. Uh, I'd encourage you to consider in the coming weeks, what is my rule of life? All of us have a rule of life, whether we acknowledge it or not. What is it that structures your weeks? 
For some of us, some of us, it's work. For some of us, it's our children and their schedules. For some of us, it's entertainment. For some of us, it's leisure. But we must all intentionally consider what our practices are and orient them around life with Christ if we want to really experience transformation. And so we begin this morning by thinking about the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath. That's what these scripture readings were about. And so I want to look at the Bible. I want to show you four words to help us understand the value, the necessity even, of Sabbath as a practice for your life. So let's look together at four things. First word is stop. Stop. The Exodus reading is, as you may know, a part of the Ten Commandments. And this commandment that Michaela read is the fourth commandment. God says to his people, to you, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, verse 8. If you don't have a background in the Bible, if you haven't been around church for a while, you, you, that, that word Sabbath might be confusing. Uh, the word comes from a Hebrew verb that is the verb Shabbat, which literally means to stop. So when you read the word Sabbath, translate in your mind, stop. To Sabbath is to stop. Stop what? Look at what the Lord says. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a stop to the Lord your God. On it, the seventh day, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So God is commanding, not suggesting. These are not the 10 suggestions. He's commanding that his people take one day out of seven and Sabbath and stop. Stop working. Stop running errands. Stop laboring. Stop the rat race. Just stop. Why? Why do that? To me, it's very interesting that this is the only spiritual practice enshrined in the Ten Commandments. No prayer. Not that that's unimportant. No Bible reading. Not that that's unimportant. But Sabbath, the only one that makes it into this list. To me, that says it must be important. So why do it? Notice in verse 11, Moses, God speaking through Moses, refers back to our first reading in Genesis chapter 2. And he gives a reason here. He says, basically, we stop and we rest because six days of work... And the seventh day of rest is the pattern God has hardwired into creation. Creation has a tempo. Creation has a syncopated beat to it. God himself worked for six and rested for the seventh. And so to fight against the Sabbath, to not rest, to not stop, to not take one day out of seven is to fight against the order that God has established. God has designed every single one of us, no matter our capacities and no matter our responsibilities, to regularly rest, to regularly stop, to regularly Sabbath. Has it ever occurred to you that 
the only unit of time in our world that is not in some correspondence with the movement of the stars is the week. The day, of course, is tied to the Earth's 24-hour rotation. The month is tied to the moon's lunar cycle. The year is tied to the Earth's journey around the sun. But the seven-day week is not. Uh, It's built around God's own life rhythm. And interestingly, every single society in the history of the world has been built around a seven-day week, even though it's not discernible from the skies. I think that's interesting. So God is saying that the Sabbath means stop. Many of you have no Sabbath, and your lives are a wreck as a result. You don't ever stop. Now, you might be thinking, Luke, I take a day off. A day off is not a Sabbath. Uh, Pastor and scholar Eugene Peterson calls a day off the bastard Sabbath. He writes this, it's the illegitimate child of the seventh day and Western culture. On a day off, you don't work for your employer in theory, but you still work. You run errands, you catch up around your house or apartment, you pay the bills, you make an Ikea run. That doesn't sound like Sabbath at all to me, by the way. And uh, that's great stuff, all of it. I love my day off, but Peterson says those activities don't make a Sabbath. Now, I know you. I know some of you are thinking, okay, come on. What are we supposed to do? Nothing for a whole day? I can't take a whole day just to do nothing. That's not the way the world works, Pastor. I know you only work one day a week. It's easy for you to Sabbath. That's not the way it is for us. I'll get too far behind. And can I just lovingly press back and say that's the exact problem. You think that if you stop, the world is going to stop. You think that if you stop, it's all going to fall apart. And so you keep on going, but eventually you're going to break down. In Tucson, where Marianne and I and the kids spent six years, we had a very good friend who was one of those people that's just frankly, freakish in his abilities. And he slept about four hours a night. He had two full-time jobs. He was, just, he was just a stud, to be honest. He found a way to work out all the time. Good-looking dude. Amazing student of the scriptures. Just an impressive guy. But three or four times a year, his body would absolutely break down. And he's a healthy, healthy, attractive, studly stallion of a guy. But his body would break down for four or five days and he would not be able to get out of bed because he would never, ever stop. But eventually, the body keeps the score. And what the scriptures are saying is that that is what is going to happen to you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually if you don't ever Sabbath. Can I also say this to you? Um, I love you, but you are not irreplaceable in this universe. If you died tomorrow, this is morbid, I know, we would grieve and we would mourn, but the world is going to move on. Uh, The thought that if you stop and rest, it's all going to come to pieces is you refusing to live within your human limits. Your body and your heart and your mind were designed by God to rest, to stop for a day. 
Now, that doesn't necessarily mean do nothing, but it means that you take an entire day to index your heart towards grateful recognition of God's reality and God's goodness. The heartbeat of any rule of life is a weekly Sabbath. Stop. The second word, worship. God says we are to, verse 8, keep the Sabbath holy because, verse 11, the Lord made it holy. What does that mean? How can a day be holy? How can a day be holy? And how do we keep it holy? Well, what the word holy means is to be set apart. So it seems that God is saying that the Sabbath is a special day. It is a set apart day because on this day you stop and rest, but there's more. It's also a holy set apart day because on this day you worship. He says, verse 10, the seventh day is a Sabbath unto or for the sake of the Lord your God. Now, this is why for the vast majority of you, your Sabbath day should be today. It should be Sunday because Sunday is the day because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on a Sunday that we as the church gather as God people and worship. So the two key components to a Sabbath are first stop and second worship. And I do think it's very clear that the scriptures, in the scriptures, that, that this idea of worship is not just individual daily worship, which we offer to God through our devotion and through our vocation each and every day. It's corporate worship with God's people. It's what we're doing right now. And I don't want to get into this long, ongoing debate that some of you may be familiar with about whether Christians should still observe the Sabbath. I will just say that I believe they should. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where the fourth commandment is abrogated. But more importantly, that debate is largely beside the point. The point is, the Sabbath is not a restrictive command from a cranky God who wants to limit your fun and your productivity. The Sabbath is not a restrictive command for you. The Sabbath is the crown jewel of the week. It should be the best day of the week, the day you most look forward to, the pinnacle of your week. Remember that old song from The Cure? Friday, I'm in love. Robert Smith wrote it. I don't care if Monday's blue, Tuesday's gray, and Wednesday too. Thursday, I don't care about you. It's Friday, I'm in love. Monday, you can fall apart. Tuesday, Wednesday, break my heart. Thursday doesn't even start. It's Friday, I'm in love. Apparently, Robert Smith's Sabbath was Friday, okay? That's how we should think about the Sabbath. The day we look forward to the most, the day we're most in love with. Christians have, in the past, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, made a legalistic ritual of the Sabbath. That's not our problem. Our problem with the Sabbath is not legalism. Our problem with the Sabbath is that most of us don't keep it at all. I don't want you to worry so much about what you should and should not do as much as orient your rule of life around this day where you gather with God's people as he has commanded and praise and honor him in worship and where you stop and enjoy his world and his many gifts it's a way of structuring enjoyment of God and enjoyment of the gospel into our weeks, into our rhythms, into our rules of life. 
Rabbi Abraham Heschel says that the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. What a gift God has given us. So if you're new to this idea, or if you want to come back to this idea of Sabbath and beginning to practice one if you don't, here's a practical question to guide you. What could you do for a day? It might not start with a full day. Maybe you have to start with a couple of hours. But what could you do for a specific set period of time that would fill your soul with a deep and abiding joy? That should be what fills your Sabbath day. All your activity on a day should be run through, on the Sabbath day, should be run through the rest and worship grid. If you're about to do something and you ask yourself, is this restful for me or is this worship? And if the answer is no, or if the answer is kind of, or if the answer is not really, then you should not do it. You should hold off. There are six other days for that, God says. Don't be in a hurry. Sit down and rest with Jesus. Stop. Worship. Third word, remember. Remember. God says, remember the Sabbath day. And that word, remember, implies a few things. First, it implies just that. Reminding yourselves of what is true. Reminding yourselves of the good news, remembering the joy the gospel brings is the purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is built into our lives as a one day out of seven reminder of the truth of who God is and what this life is about. I like how Wayne Muller puts it in a book. He writes, quote, the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement from some law-giving deity. You ought, you'd better, you must. But rather, a remembrance of a law that is firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. It is a reminder of how things really are. The rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong. On the Sabbath, you remember. What do you remember? Practicing Sabbath is you preaching to yourself. It's you preaching to yourself. You're saying when you stop and when you worship and you, when, when you rest, you're saying, I remember that there is a creator God, that we live in his world and that his world was made good. We remember that we don't stop when we're finished because we're never finished. It's never enough. We stop when the rhythm God built into our bodies says stop and we leave things undone. We remember that we're not what we do and we're not what we have and we're not what other people think of us. We are who we are deeply loved by in Christ. Many people fear stopping. They fear what emotions may come up. Who am I if I'm not producing? Who am I if I'm not performing? Sabbath is a weekly act of gospel identity formation. We remember, I am God's loved one. I am his son. I am his daughter. I can rest. We remember that our life with God is not a right. It is a gift. We remember that we owe it to God to be grateful in this world. We remember the good news of Christ's love for us and of his spirits present with us. And we rejoice and we celebrate it. We remember. Secondly, remembering implies regularity. It implies keeping the Sabbath, doing the Sabbath, practicing 
the Sabbath. It means we need to be intentional and to put up some boundaries around our Sabbath day so that we can actually stop. It means, especially if you don't have a Sabbath, it's going to take some work, ironically, for you to stop work. It's going to take some practice for you to form this habit as a rule. I've heard Kevin say for years now to musicians during rehearsal, stay in the pocket. He's not in here. But I think what he means is keep up with the beat. Keep up with the rhythm. That's what a Sabbath is. It's keeping up with the intonation of creation. That's what we do when we remember. We're keeping with the rhythm of the world God has made. And that sometimes will take some planning and some effort and some thinking on your part on the other days. But the promise of God is that it is worth it. Which leads to the last word. Let's wrap up with this one. Blessed. Blessed. Look at verse 11 of Exodus 20. God blesses the Sabbath day, which is a direct quote from Genesis 2. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. In that Genesis narrative, the creation narrative, there's only three things that God blesses. This is really interesting, I think. Three things that God blesses. One is the animal kingdom. Genesis 1, God blessed them, the creatures of the earth and the air and the sea, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Secondly, God blessed human beings. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing. The third thing is the Sabbath. So what can we learn from that? That the Sabbath, just like an animal or just like a human being, has life-giving capacity. The Sabbath has the ability to fill us with more life, to make us more joyful, to bring flourishing. The scriptures are saying that if you add Sabbath to your rule of life, it will change the way you live in the world. One Old Testament scholar says, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. People who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. Think about how we live. You get to the end of the week, And even if you love your work, you're worn down on every level, emotionally and mentally and physically and spiritually. God is saying, I see you and I love you. And I've given you the gift of Sabbath to fill your souls back up with life. How? It's like any other spiritual practice. Sabbath is a means to an end. The end is not for us, I practice Sabbath. It's not even to be well-rested and happy, although that's a wonderful byproduct. The end is to participate in the love and the life of God himself as he has made himself known in Jesus. The end is to center our lives around Christ because we remember and believe that Christ emptied himself of all but love to save us. The end is to live more deeply in Jesus. The goal is for us to abide in the love of Jesus for us, to experience the truth of what Jesus says when he urges us to come to him. All who are tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you're going to have a rule of life, If you're going to grow in your love for God, if you want to flourish in the world God has made, God says Sabbath is an essential part of that. 
Now, we didn't get to the practical pieces because I want you in coming weeks to talk with your family, with your community groups about what it would look like for you to practice Sabbath well. And I want you to try it for three months and see what happens. It's a 90-day, 100% guarantee or your money back, right? God calls us to rest in Jesus, and he gives us ways to do that. Sabbath is one, a way of imprinting our rest in Christ through faith in the gospel, our rest in his love into our weeks. You can't have a healthy rhythm. You can't have a healthy rule without it. Let's pray.